Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Sunny Mary Meadow podcast. I am your host, Liz Fiddler. And today I'm going to talk about ways that my flower farm outgrew my farm stand. And first of all, I want to say that a farm stand is a great way to get started. And I'm sure there are people out there that it is the perfect mode of selling or model to sell. But for me, my farm, this is not the best fit for me anymore. And there are a lot of reasons why I don't do my farm stand anymore. I will say I am planning on having the farm stand set out. So it's to me, a farm stand is a self-serve at the end of your driveway. You set bouquets out and that's how we got our start. But I'm going to do it with tulips this year and I'll get to why I'm going to do it with tulips this spring in a minute. But first I'm going to talk about how my farm got started and it was with a farm stand and it was just going to be a farm stand. But then once we started scaling and once I started turning this into my actual livelihood and business, there's just too much waste and too much unpredictability to, you know, gamble away my full-time nurse practitioner career on a farm stand. And yeah, so we switched, ended up switching to a model where I pre-sell a lot of my bouquets. And so my farm, if you're new here, in 2020, in the beginning of COVID, we started with a little farm stand. I built it completely myself, like in the evenings out in our shop. My late husband, Josh, bless his heart, had a lot of skills, but he could not. I don't think he knew how to turn on a saw. He never learned any type of handy skills whatsoever. Um, he grew up on a farm. He grew up milking cows, but he never really learned any other skills that came along with farming. Just didn't have the resources to teach him. We'll put it that way. So he he just never, never took a shop class. Like he was, I wouldn't say unapologetically. Everyone has different skills and he just was not handy. I was the handy one of our family and I'm not that handy. But anyway, so I built the farm stand. His best friend is a contractor who built our house. And he started giving me a lot of his old tools in like 2018, whenever he would like upgrade to a new one. So he gave me his old sander and his old table saw and whatever it might be. And like I insulated our chicken coop and I just kind of DIY'd it and figured out how to do it. And like I said, Josh would have no idea how to turn on a saw. It was actually a little bit embarrassing because he was telling people like, yeah, Liz is getting into woodworking. I'm like, I'm not getting into woodworking. I literally can cut a piece of plywood in half and put insulation in between some two by fours and put a piece of plywood over top of it in our chicken coop, but I'm not getting into woodworking. Like that's, that's, those are very different things, but he was very proud. He was very proud of me. And he was like, thought that I had these skills that, you know, were not there. So he was, I would say he was blindly a little bit in love with me. So he would just, yeah, Liz is into woodworking. I'm like, no, I'm not into woodworking, but okay. Anyway, so I built this farm stand and you can see pictures of it like all over our social media when we first started out. And it was kind of an inspiration of when I grew up in Southwest Minnesota on the corner of County Road 13 and Highway 75 north of Lake Benton, there was a landmark called Honey Corner. And a lot of people have probably heard of it, but Valentina, her real name was Valentina, but we all called her Valentina. And she was from Poland. So Valentina from Lake Benton. And they had 
honeybees. They had a huge bee factory. It was so cool. There was like an elevator that you pulled with a rope and a pulley system. But they had their bees and she would set the honey out at the end of their driveway. And there were signs everywhere, like miles out that said, take the honey, leave the money. And that's what they did. They just operated it on a self-serve stand. So I grew up thinking that that was normal. Like nobody ever robbed them, whatever. So when I told Josh I wanted to do this, we were like, oh, I really hope nobody robs us. But oh, well, if they do, like, I guess we'll probably get robbed once. Shame on me or whatever. You know the saying, like our, our philosophy was... If we get robbed once, if we get vandalized once, we'll do it twice. But if we get robbed or vandalized twice, we're done. So we set up this farm stand at the end of our driveway. And I had, I found a little poem on the internet. I wish I could say I wrote it, but it said, put the money in the slot. Don't have correct change. Just give what you got. Settle up next time you stop. Honesty will keep this stand open. And so, yeah, we just had like a little lockbox and people left the cash and they took their flowers. They took their canned goods because we had all of the like Bloody Mary mix and salsa at that time, too. And Josh was working from home. And then we also had a little like pieces of paper where you could write down your name and your email address. And I did buy one, give one. So for every bouquet that someone bought, I brought a second one to a nursing home. So that was really cool. Except for the fact that my bouquets were $15, buy one, give one. So you got to take one. And then I brought a second one and it was a smaller one, but still it was two bouquets for $15 plus the second one's delivered to a nursing home. So obviously that model was not a good business model if I wanted to actually keep doing this and make it, you know, profitable enough to be worth my time somewhat. And I'm not saying I need to make $100 an hour, but like, I'm not even saying I need to make $10 an hour. But at that point, it was like, this is this is not uh, a sustainable model. But the flowers that I had were primarily like from that first cutting garden. So I had some snapdragons, but otherwise it was like mostly zinnias, lots of cosmos, lots of sunflowers, lots of amaranth, lots of basil, just self or not self-seeded, but direct seeded flowers that were more cut and come again. Not exactly, you know, your profitable stems. I had some dahlias because I bought some tubers that spring just for fun. I think I bought 10 tubers and they were incredibly prolific dahlias for whatever reason. Well, I know why, because I planted them in an area that used to be where they kept their wean calves. So for like 30 years, that was just filled with cow manure. So it was incredibly fertile soil. And so I think that's why the dahlias did so well that year, but it was pretty rocky and sandy and, but a lot of cow poop over the years, decayed cow poop. And so that was what I had was the farm stand and Josh was working from home that summer. I don't mention it in every episode, but if you're new here, so that was 2020. And then that December was when he passed away of a heart attack. So got to catch you up with the facts there. But like I said, he was working from home. I was working four days a week in the clinic as a nurse practitioner. And so he was able to just see the stand out of the end of the driveway. So I would have extra bouquets made up inside because I didn't want to set them all out in the morning so he could see if someone pulled up, if he could see them drive away with a bouquet, he could bring another one out there because literally his office faced the farm stand. And he didn't do it all day, but like on his lunch break or whatever, he'd put a couple out there. And eventually, I mean, we sold every single bouquet that we ever made. Like somehow, I mean, and I would start like grabbing stuff from my landscaping. I would start like, oh, let's use some husta leaves. Let's use some hydrangeas. Let's use some, like it was, the flowers were not reflective of what my flowers look like now. We'll put it that way. But they were not high value stems. They were not high dollar stems. And so we could just keep setting them out there. The problem was... First of all, that product quality 
is not great because it's hot, it's humid. Try to get them in shade. I would put ice packs up against them, but it's really hard to guarantee that vase life and what's it looking like after people leave. And yeah, if it was only 15 bucks, but I say this all the time. And with my model of sales now, I would rather retain the current customers I have all day long than try to get a new customer because the customers that I have are buying multiple, multiple, multiple bouquets. They're buying a subscription. They're paying for a nursing home sponsorship. They are booking a private event. It's a wedding, whatever it is. I don't do a lot of one and done sales, you know, my stem bars, my U-picks, whatever. But for the most part, my customers, the majority of them buy anywhere from 10 to 25 bouquets a year. So like my friend Mandy, she has, she gets a spring subscription and a summer subscription. Spring subscription is six bouquets. Summer subscription is 10 bouquets. There's 16 bouquets right there. And then she actually, for three years in a row now, she has had like the last, I don't know, Tuesday in August or whatever is like her neighborhood hockey moms. And they come out and she just, you know, she's like, yep, we'll take that night. I'll let you know the week before how many people. I always say it for sure has to be eight people. And it ends up being, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15. And then they just pay me when they're here, um, whoever ends up coming. And so it's just, it's one point of contact. So yes, there's other people that came with her, but she organized it. And I don't have to like chase after that sale. So if she brings even conservatively, let's say 10 people, So she has 16 bouquet subscriptions plus those 10 people. So there's 26 people. Plus if, you know, her business sponsors a nursing home sponsorship, that's 40 bouquets right there. So that could be potentially a lot of my customers. It's not unheard of that they buy 56 bouquets a year or whatever it might be. And so the farm stand model of just hoping someone comes along and buys it just doesn't quite work. So the product quality, they sit out there, they wilt, they sit in the sun, I just don't want unhappy customers. I don't know what they're going to look like. That basil can wilt really quickly. That amaranth can wilt really quickly. It's a learning curve. I mean, I would get, not very often, but once in a while you get an email that says like the flowers aren't lasting. They're wilting. I found out that like if you use honeywort and you put it right in there, then it it kind of does similar to what daffodils do and it leaks sap into the water and then the stems get all nasty when they're trying to soak it up or you know, zinnias or sunflowers can be kind of a dirty flower and it just really compromises that base life. And so when you have a farm stand like that, you just don't know. And you you do not want to risk any unhappy customers because bad news travels way quicker than good news. And I can honestly say like, of course, the quality of my flowers has gone up tremendously since I started. We all start somewhere. And so, you know, hopefully, you know, there, I'm sure there are people out there that are like, mm, I don't really buy her flowers. They're not great. They probably weren't in the beginning and that's why the price was what they were. And that's why, you know, the experience was way different than it was, but I've gradually improved. I've always improved. I've, you know, let my customers know that and, and every business should evolve your, your product and your pricing and everything. If it's the perfect way from the very beginning, that's kind of a red flag. Like you need to be humble enough to admit, Hey, there's room for improvement. So with the farm stand, I would also once in a while, let people reserve a bouquet. And that honestly sucked. I hated it because toward the end of the summer, we would sell out of stuff. People would drive all the way out here. They'd make the drive like 15, 20 miles. But at the time we also had salsas, canned goods, other stuff on there, which it just isn't profitable. It is not profitable enough to spend. I mean, it would take us like probably 15 hours to make a hundred jars of jelly and probably a 50% markup on the materials. So if we sold 
a hundred jars of jelly at $700 total is probably $350 in profit by the time we bought all the ingredients and everything. So then that $350 divided by roughly 12 hours to make all of it, it just was absolutely not worth it. So that's why, honestly, that's why we don't do the canned goods anymore. Cause people are like, Oh, well, why don't you bring that back? I'm like, cause I don't want to spend an entire weekend making a hundred jars of jelly for other people and make $5 an hour. Like it's just, it's not, it's not worth it. So we, we got rid of doing that stuff. I mean, we still make the Bloody Mary mix and that profit goes toward my late husband's scholarship fund. But other than that, it just doesn't work for us. And it used to be something that Josh and I enjoyed doing together. So it was an entirely different experience where now it's work if I were to do it. So we just don't do it anymore. But when people would reserve that bouquet, I would put their name on like a sticker and I would put it on there and I'd be like, you know, reserve for Kaylee, reserve for Kelly, reserve for Amber, reserve for Beth, whatever. And I would say, well, roughly what time are you coming? Because again, I don't want bouquets to sit out there all day long. I never wanted them out there for more than like two hours, especially if it was hot out. And we would put, you know, we'd put ice packs on it or something like that. And it was in the shade, but it's still just humid. Like Minnesota is so humid in the heat of the summer in July. And so we'd put their name on it. And then people, I get it. I want to be cool. I want to be flexible. But when people say, yeah, I'll be out there in a little bit. And then they don't come. Now it's sitting out there. And now people come. They get all excited. They see there's a bouquet available. And... It's got a sold name on it. So then they're messaging me and say, hey, I see there's a bouquet here, but there's someone's name on it. Is this available? It's like, no, this is, it says reserved for this person. But I would get all these messages while I was at work, while I was working my nurse practitioner job, probably in the middle of a pap smear, like my watch would ding. And of course I wouldn't check it, but like it, it just was like, nope. And, and so it, it was obviously not a sustainable way to keep doing things. And you have to train your customers and you will learn so much about humans, <laughs> about people in general when you start a business like mine. Just the kind of the audacity of like people not listening or not respecting the rules or thinking that they're the exception all the time. The you picks, I had signs everywhere. Do not pick the dahlias. Do not pick the dahlias. Do not cut the dahlias. Do not go to the last four rows. Don't cut the dahlias. Don't touch the dahlias because they have to be cut a certain way. We have to cut them low. We have to cut them above a certain set of leaves so that they can continue producing more dahlias. If you cut them really shallow, it compromises subsequent blooms and our subsequent profitability. So what I would do is I would put them in buckets and I would say, you can have some of the pre-picked dahlias, but you cannot pick the dahlias. Now, if I had dahlias from seed or something like that, it'd be a little bit different, but I sell my Boom Boom White, my Cornell Bronze, my Joey Winnie's to florists. I, I need those specific stems. And so I cannot risk having other people cut them. Anyway, so I'm getting a little off topic there. But my point is, people don't like to follow the rules. They like to think that they don't apply to them and they kind of ignore them. So I would have people just take the bouquet and they would re they would leave a note. Like literally, I would get notes in that little lockbox with the $15 on it saying, I saw that this bouquet said reserved for so-and-so, but it was the only one. And I drove all the way here from Cold Spring, which is 20 minutes away. So hope that was okay. And then whoever the bouquet was reserved for would show up and they're like, hi, I don't see it. Uh, and, and that happened a lot. And I would try to be as specific, like, 
I would put a tag on it. I would say sold. This is all right. I would say, please do not take this one unless you are Kaylee. I would literally write that on there. Well, then that looks rude and not very welcoming. And it was just stressful. And selling flowers should not be stressful. So a farm stand, if it's completely, or, you know, everything that I put out there, I wanted to be available to be for sale because people don't like coming to a self-serve farm stand and having no options or no choices. So that was the biggest thing was once I started really selling out, I just didn't want to put all of my product out there. Taking a quick break from this episode to ask a very, very tiny favor of you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit pause and go and give us a five-star rating. If you feel compelled or inclined to write a review, that would be so appreciated. But honestly, the rating is all we're asking right now. Podcasts get recommended to people based on downloads and keywords and ratings. And if lots of people are listening and rating it high, then the platforms try to find more people that they think will also like it. So it's a really simple and easy thing for you to do, but it really does mean so much to us. So please consider hitting pause, giving it a five-star rating, and then coming back and finishing this episode. Thank you. The other thing is scarcity is cool. Don't get me wrong. Like that is a good thing for a business. Like get there early, come on out. And that's kind of how my STEM bars operate. Like I'm pretty good at predicting roughly how many stems we need. And especially when they're at my farm, I can have more flowers in the cooler. So like if we get more people come that come than expected, I can add more to it without taking these perishable products out of the cooler. And so that works really well. If you have more questions about stem bars, I have an episode on here exactly all the details that I do with my stem bars. I explain it in a course. So I have a video, I have downloads, all those things, which I know that that's not for everyone, but it, it really gives you the, um, so I'll put that link in the episode notes to that course. If you want a whole 40 minute video on literally everything that you need to know, point of sale, taxes, all of that. Anyway, getting back to it. So I think scarcity is cool. Scarcity is good as a business owner because you want people wanting more. However, I don't like to feel stressed as a consumer. I don't like to feel pressured. I've had it before, especially like with building a new house or with, you know, just big purchases, car dealerships. Oh, if you tell me as a salesman, Hey, it's 20% off, but only today. And the minute you walk out of the door, that deal is gone forever. I am walking like, do not make me make a decision that day. I had that happen with a treadmill that I bought. They were like, yep. And you're only going to get that deal today. And I was like, then I'm leaving. And I walked out and they were like, no, 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 wait, wait. I'm like, nope. Do not force me to make a decision today. Give me 24 hours. Give me 48 hours, but do not make me make a decision today. I hate feeling that way as a consumer. And so I don't like that stressful feeling. And it's a little bit different. But if I'm driving all the way out to this, I mean, yes, it's a beautiful drive. We live on literally the trees across from us, like starting even late August. It is like the most beautiful drive in Stearns County um, when the leaves start like slightly changing and it gets cooler and there's just, it's, it is a beautiful view out here. It's relaxing. But if I drove all the way out here, if I drove 15 miles, 10 minutes, whatever to get flowers and there were none there, 
I'd be pretty frustrated. I wouldn't keep coming back. I might come back again once, but I'm not going to keep coming to try to get flowers. So that model just did not work for me. The other thing is I didn't just change my prices on my flowers. I completely transformed my product. It's an entirely different product than it used to be. A lot of people are like, oh, you raised your prices and now you sell it for $30 instead of $15. And I say, no, that was appropriately priced, but my stems that I add now are a higher value and I do a appropriate industry standard pricing with it. So I have a lot of lisianthus, ranunculus, peonies, dahlias, a lot of higher value stems in there. It's not just the zinnias, the cosmos, the warm loving annuals or whatever. And so to set those flowers out there, especially when I know I can sell them by the stem. So that's my thing is, you know, once you start to scale, once you start to hire help, you can't throw 20% of your flowers in the compost bin. I mean, you can, and a lot of, a lot of people on Instagram will say, well, that's just part of it. And I agree. Like I am not, I am not going to discount my flowers. I am not going to have 10 bucks off. You will never, ever see me do that. I will throw them in the compost bin. I try to donate as many as I can in the event that that happens. Although I will be honest, it doesn't really happen anymore because I have a plan for every single stem. I structure my week in a way between subscriptions, nursing home sponsorships, private events, the weddings, the U-picks where I have to have a ticket, the stem bars. I have a plan for every single stem. I keep things in the cooler. Like it's it's a very strategic order that I do things in. And I teach all that in my Peddling Perishable Products course. We go through all of that. And I also pre-sell probably 70%. So like the subscriptions, the nursing home sponsorships, weddings are all pre-sold. I consider private events pre-sold, even though they might not pay until the week of in the summer but they're still booked out in the wintertime. So sponsors or nursing home sponsorships, subscriptions, the private events and the weddings, I do that way. The you picks, you know, I open them up a month or two ahead of time and you have to buy a picket, ticket there. So they're pre-sold, just not necessarily in the off season, but they're pre-sold weeks to months ahead of time. They don't fully sell out. I did seven of them last summer just to kind of trial it out. And We'll see what ends up happening this summer. I think I might be able to do like a couple different time slots. I don't know. I'm playing around with seeing what the numbers are. But the stem bars that I do on Mondays at the farm, those are kind of open to the public, kind of an open house, and you can just come and get flowers during that time. So really, that's the only thing that I have that's not pre-sold. Now, my tulips, I said this in the beginning, I am going to put the farm stand out at the end of the driveway with pre-made tulip bundles because I will be here and because it's cool and because I can confidently say they can sit out for a while or I can, you know, I can set them out maybe a dozen bouquets and really advertise it. My email list, I've worked really hard to build that email list and I have like 2,700 people now, I think. And it's still, it's, it's diminishing a little. I no longer have my 60% open rate, but it's, it's still above 50%. So I still have, so it's about 1,300 people that open my email every single one that I send. And so when I send an email saying, Hey, the farm stands open, they know. And so I I try to send them that in the beginning of the summer or at the beginning of the week, I'm going to do better about getting on a routine with that because you can't just rely on social media to say, Hey, there's flowers, come get them because the algorithm hates us. They hate small businesses and it's not going to show it to people. An ad or something on Facebook only works if you show it to people. And Facebook 
is a business. Meta is a business and they want us to buy ads. They want us to pay for ads. I actually have someone coming on the podcast to talk about she specializes in social media ads, like purchased ads. And I'm really excited to learn from her because I don't know crap about that. I have never paid for a single ad in my entire business, which I'm really proud of, but I don't wear that like a badge of honor. I just mean I haven't had to, but I'm not saying I wouldn't, especially for the picks or something. I, I probably might just try it out this summer and just see what happens. But again, we'll see if it's not broke, don't fix it. And there's only so many flowers to go around. But with the tulips, I think I can maybe set out like 10 bouquets in the morning if I say the farm stand's going to be open by, I mean, I try to have it open by like 7 a.m. because people want to grab it before work. So if I say, you know, two days before, like, hey, the farm stand's going to be open on Friday at 7 a.m. I will have flowers out there by 7 a.m. You know, and this is like in April. I will keep an eye. There's so many things that go along with it, though. I got to keep an eye on the weather. If it's, you know, is it, we get frosty mornings. We get cool mornings. What if it's only 28 degrees? I'm not setting tulips out. So I need to keep an eye out on that weather. But people do want flowers before work on their way to work if it's a weekday. So I can set them out there. But then say 9 a.m., I can take those and flip them out with other ones that I have in the cooler because that'll still like keep that base life. Now, I would not do that with my snapdragons, my lisianthus, my peonies, my ranunculus, because they open so quickly in the light, in the sun, whatever it might be. Whereas the tulips, they have such a long base life that I feel like I can confidently do that. So I am going to try the farm stand model with my tulips, probably not ranunculus, because I'm quite certain that I'm not going to have a lot of extra ranunculus. I added them to the subscriptions this year. So if If people want ranunculus, the ways that they can get them are going to be a spring subscription. So it's six weeks, they get four weeks of tulips and two weeks of ranunculus. And then I am selling a lot of them wholesale to florists. But I don't I don't know that I'm going to have tons extra for the stem bar because a lot of them are going to be promised to the subscription holders. And it's just a reliable way to do it because they're they're so valuable. I mean, right now it's February 18th. So Valentine's Day day is over. I just checked to get a bunch of 10 ranunculus stems from my wholesaler. It's like $29.99. So three bucks a stem right now, mid-February. The lowest I have ever seen them, I think I've seen them for like $1.90 a stem wholesale. So the florist takes that times three and then or times 2.5 plus the cost of labor, whatever that ends up being. And so I put them in my subscriptions. But if I put them in a stem bar, I'm going to have to make sure that I sell every stem. And so, you know, maybe I'll sell like some of the shorter ones in pint jars rather than selling them to florists. I don't know. I'm still really new to this crop, but to just set them out there on a farm stand, it just doesn't quite work. Caveat, of course, do I think that the farm stand model is one of the greatest ways to get started? Yes, absolutely. I think it is an awesome way to get the word out there, but it just depends on your lifestyle. Are you home? Are you able to be here? Are you able to keep restocking it? Are you able to keep checking on it? I also really like knowing who my customers are. I, I hated not knowing if someone stopped in or whatever it was. And so it's it's just kind of a different connection that you make, but it is a really good way to get started in like season one. I just personally don't think that it is a long-term solution 
for a business if you're going to scale it up. If your plan is this is always going to be a side hustle, this is always going to be just extra cash, then I think it is a fantastic plan. I just don't think that I want to gamble my livelihood on people's habits of maybe stopping out or maybe not. Because again, peddling perishable products takes planning. And if you don't sell them, they get thrown out. And so I decided that first farmer's market that I went to with wholesale flowers in you know June of 2021 when it was 100 degrees out. And I was so excited because I sold eight bouquets, but I brought 30. And so I ended up having to get rid of 22 of them. I lost so much money that day. And that's when I put the value, the dollar value to my bouquets, to my flowers. If you're going to have a cut flower farm and business, not just a side hobby for cash, but if you're going to have a sustainable business, you have to look at the stems as if they have value. I didn't place a value on the flowers that I grew myself because I thought, well, it's pure profit. You know, anything after this amount or once I get the seeds paid for is profit. And it's it's not. That's the mentality that's going to keep you working 30 hours a week to make, you know, literally you could put 30 hours a week into 30 weeks. You could have 900 hours into it. And you could say, oh yeah, I made about 10 grand extra side money. Even if you put 15 hours a week, that's 450 hours. And if you made 10 grand, again, that's, that's $2 an hour for your time. And don't get me wrong. Like the extra money, the extra cash is very substantial for most people. I understand that a lot of people are not trying to replace their daytime income. They are trying to supplement it because they're trying to use this to pay off their student loans, pay for kids activities, whatever it might be. And I think the farm stand can be a good model for that if you already work from home, if there's someone there that can restock it, if you're not going to grow the really high value flowers, if you have a customer base that you can train, if you have a high populated area, this year I'm going to get more signs put out. We get so much lake traffic. And so, you know, signs that say fresh flowers this way. We do get so many people that drive by on our main road, which is like 50 yards from you know, we're just on a little side road there. And so I think, you know, if I put up a sign there, I think that could be incredibly helpful on Fridays, people headed up to the lake. But again, it just, it all takes planning and it takes time to set those signs out the morning that the stands are open. And I don't know, I I think it can be a good model, but just keep in mind that these flowers, just because you grew them yourself, doesn't mean they're free. You put a lot of time into them, hours and hours already go into growing the flowers before you even cut them, before you even arrange them. So that is why I only offer the farm stand on limited, on a limited basis. And that's why my farm doesn't operate off of that model any longer, but we all start somewhere. And I think it's a great way to get started. It's just keep in mind, that's probably not going to be a sustainable way to continue investing in your business because you can't plan on it. It's not predictable. It's not reliable. I want to know that I'm going to have that sales sales amount because I pay myself a salary. I need that money to keep coming in. Um, so thank you for listening to another episode of the Sunny Mary Meadow podcast. I love hearing about your thoughts on these episodes. And I know that I know that this is controversial. I know that some people are going to argue with me. And trust me, I'm in all the cut flower groups on Facebook. Like I see what people say like, well, that doesn't work for me. I live here. Okay, fine. I know that this isn't a blanket statement, but you can take little tidbits of it and put it out there. So 
Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sunny Mary Meadow podcast. I'm your host, Liz. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and rate us. You can find us on Instagram, Pinterest, and Facebook at Sunny Mary Meadow. Subscribe to our email newsletter at sunnymarymeadow.com. And if you have questions or comments or anything to say, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at sunnymarymeadow.com. Flowers, flowers, we love flowers. Sunny Mary Meadow, they smell so good. Sunnymarymeadow.com. Sunny